Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, August 17th, 2012. So, do you think it's closed-minded of me to think that an atheist shouldn't be allowed or permitted to be a Christian pastor? Yeah, um, we're going to be talking about a pastor who is ordained within the Anglican Church and took a call to a Christian church in Michigan who just came out as being an atheist for 20 years, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there's no shortage of crazy things being said out there. So we do the tough work of opening up our Bibles, comparing what people are saying, and basically checking in context to see if it's squaring with Scripture. This is something that we all ought to be doing. And so if you want to become better at it, you listen to Fighting for the Faith, and you start to get some, well, mad theological discernment skills. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's over at the top. Anyway, uh, so at the uh, at the opening of the program, you know, I asked the question, would it be, uh, well... Is it closed-minded in you know of me to think that atheists shouldn't be permitted to be Christian pastors? Now, I'll, I'll explain the details in the second half of the program. Okay, but what we're going to be doing is we're going to be listening to part of a sermon in the second half of this hour uh, delivered by Ian Lawton, Ian Lawton of C3 Exchange up there in you know, near Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we're going to go back in time also. We're going to go back in time to June of 2010 or 2010, and we're going to uh, listen to a Fox News story about the things that Ian Lawton was doing shortly after he took his call to be the pastor of this church near Grand Rapids. And think of this as kind of like one of those cautionary tales. You know, it's, it's something we've got to look at kind of like the bigger picture, because on July 15th, of this year. So just a little over a month ago, Ian Lawton at C3 Exchange near Grand Rapids came out of the closet as an atheist and admitted that he has been an atheist for 20 years or more. Okay, this is and so the the I mean as we deconstruct this thing that's happened 
we got to ask ourselves a question. You know, why didn't anybody pick up on this before? Now, I'm going to point something out, and that is, is that I have been covering, you know, I've been, you know, covering Ian Lawton, and you know, been basically doing comparative work of the stuff that he's been doing for over two years on this radio program. Reason being is because I knew there was a big problem immediately upon hearing him for the first time because he was not sounding or speaking like somebody who believed, taught, and confessed the Christian faith. Now, let me let me give you a quick Greek lesson. Um, you know, I, I'm by no means a Greek scholar, However, I've known the language for more than 20 years, but uh, let me let me help you out here. When we talk about the word confess, okay, when we say that word, what do you think of when you think about the word confess? You, something, you know, confess is something you do in court. You you confess to doing a crime or you confess to whatever. Well, the Greek word for confess, which, you know, theologically is where we get the idea of confessions, comes from the Greek word homologeo. And the concept behind homologeo is to say the same thing, okay? And that's that's really the gist of it. So when we ask the question, what does somebody believe, teach, and confess? The reason why the word confess is, is in there is because we want to know if they're saying the same thing as scripture. Tell me what faith you confess, okay? What is the faith that you confess? And you know, you know, and then you're going to start speaking. And as soon as you start speaking, that's the creed that you believe in. I believe this, this, or the other thing. And that, by the way, that's what the Latin word credo means, you know, I believe. And so the idea is, is that as Christians, we are to be listening and attentive to the, what people are saying. Pastors in the Christian church do not have the right as part of their office to say anything different than what scripture teaches they are by virtue of what scripture teaches and says regarding the pastoral office they are to say the same thing as scripture they are to teach what scripture teaches they are not to go and teach something other than what is said and taught in scripture and so, you know, so looking at this Ian Lawton thing, you know, I, this is kind of front of my mind at the moment. You know, I'm grinding on this, and the reason why is because you know it's this isn't a big story anywhere, and it ought to be a big story because this is a real cautionary tale. For, out of the shoot, um, Ian Lawton wasn't saying the same thing that Christianity says. He wasn't saying the same thing that the Bible says. And yet he was held up in different parts of the visible church. And I'm thinking about, you know, in, in you know places that at the time, you know, the emergent church and other folks like that were holding him up as a great example as a, of a progressive, you know, postmodern Christian type. And there were people trying to you know, basically, you know, expose Ian Lawton to the greater world of evangelicalism. And yet... He wasn't saying the same thing. Ultimately, discernment is really all about that. Biblical discernment is learning how to listen to what people are saying and ask the question, are they saying the same thing as Scripture? 
because that's what they're supposed to be doing. Christianity is a revealed religion. Christianity is not a subjective theoretical exercise in you coming up with some clever and original ideas regarding God. It's a revealed religion. In fact, uh, one of my favorite theologians, uh, uh, Pieper, who's, uh, who's written Christian Dogmatics, which is a, a Lutheran systematic dogmatics text, he likens... Um, you know, theology or the, the, you know, the study of theology to the science of astronomy, not astrology, but astronomy. The idea being this, uh, astronomy is, is an observational science. It's, it's all about looking at what's out there and understanding what it is. Okay. Christianity or being a Christian theologian is the same idea, is that we have a body of text that is already revealed and everybody deals with the same text. And so any any Christian theologian worth his salt is only going to say the same thing as what Scripture says. It's the agents of the devil who say something different. It's the agents of the enemy who are teaching other than what's taught in scripture. And so, you know, and, but we live in a day where the more clever you are, uh, the, and you know, the, at being able to say something new by trying to create the impression that that's what it says in the book, the the bigger following that you get. But we're going to take a look at the Ian Lawton, um, debacle and I, and that's the only way I can think about it. It's a, it's a flat out debacle because he engaged in total deception, absolute deception. Okay. And uh, he should have never been permitted to take a call in any congregation that calls themselves Christian. And yet he did. So we'll be looking at that in greater detail, second half of this first hour. Let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Three things today, three things. It's not a light edition, but we're only going to do with three things (laughs) as if that's not enough. Uh, first thing we're going to be doing here in just a minute, we're going to be listening to audio from a video recently put out by Patricia King from her program um, entitled Everlasting Love. She had Joshua Mills on there. And uh, here's the deal. I mean, those of you listening to Fighting for the Faith are, are, are now aware that apparently Dunamis Ministries and the Apostle Prophet Dennis Walker has received a direct revelation from God that each and every one of us apparently has a garden in the second heaven that we're supposed to be tending to. And you're thinking, you know, how am I supposed to have time to tend to this garden that's in the second heaven? I had no idea that it was even there. And so if you're worried about not having enough time to tend your garden, well, don't worry. Joshua Mills and Patricia King, are, they've got a teaching. Uh, actually, it's a, it's a direct revelation of sorts that uh, you apparently can take dominion over time. Um, yeah. So Joshua Mills and Patricia King are going to explain how God has revealed to them that you can take dominion over time and then you'll have all the time you need to do everything you need to do, including tending your second garden. Uh, well, actually, your garden in the second heaven. I, so confusing. I mean, none of this ta- stuff is taught in the Bible, and I'm having a really tough time keeping all, up with all these new revelations that are supposedly coming from God. Then we'll take our break. When we get back from our break, we are going to uh, you know, delve into this Ian Lawton thing. It will require us to go back in time using the Pirate Christian Radio time machine. We will be doing that going back to uh, the end of June of 2010, uh, and uh, take a look at the, kind of the Ian Lawton story. We'll look at what he just said on the 15th of uh, July 
go back in time and then spend a little bit of time looking at some of these things. And then kind of as a bonus, we'll be listening to part of just a snippet of a sermon by Michael Dowd, um, basically making the claim that the new atheists are actually the, the are, are prophets of God. So, you know, kind of working off the theme, apparently, you know, this new cutting edge of postmodern Christianity has atheism as somehow the core of the Christian message. And now we have prophetic new atheists. So, yeah, no kidding. It's just that crazy. And then hour number two, I <laughs> got to take the tinfoil pyramid hat off and, and come in for a soft landing this week. We'll be going to um, <clears throat> Hanley Stoke-on-Trent and listening to a sermon by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley entitled, Christ Came for Sinners. A good sermon to end off the week with all the crazy stuff that we've been dealing with. I, you know, I'm, it's it's like my uh, my batteries are low, so I, I got to recharge. And the way I recharge is by hearing somebody actually preach God's word correctly and preach the gospel to me. And so we're going to be uh, having that honor fulfilled by Pastor Charmley. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. Um, all of the standard warnings are in place for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. In fact. Now that I think about it, I probably should play the warning because there's some weird stuff. Warning. Fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinew nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. Do you ever feel like you just don't have enough time? And now that you've learned that you have that garden that you've got to be tending in the second heaven, you're thinking, how am I ever going to have time to deal with all of this? Well, don't worry. Patricia King and Joshua Mills are here to save the day by teaching you some brand new doctrine never before taught in Scripture or anywhere in the Christian church. Um... That will help you take dominion over time, and then you'll have all the time that you need. Yeah, here's Patricia King and Joshua Mills to explain. Hi there, and welcome to Everlasting Love. My name's Patricia King, and I'm really glad that you've joined us for today's program with our special guest, Joshua Mills, who is going to share on an awesome topic, Time and Eternity. And Joshua, that is the title of your new book. It and is. We're excited about your book and about this teaching that you're bringing forth in the body right now. I'm so excited about this message about uh, time. And God began to unfold it for me over the past year and just began to take me into some things in Scripture. Um, gave me also personal experiences in regards to taking dominion and authority over our day. Uh-huh. Personal experiences. Notice the leaky canon charismatic here. Yeah, by the way, um, has the church ever said that you have the ability to take dominion over time? Nope. So he's not saying the same thing that Scripture really teaches, and he's not saying the same thing that the church has said. He's saying something different, which means we ought to reject it just outright, but... Let's continue. 
over our years, over our time, taking authority over mm-hmm. it. You know, in the beginning, the Bible says that God created the sun and the moon. Yeah. He created the stars. And the Bible actually says that he set these lights in the sky to serve as signs uh, for seasons and for days and for years. And so God created time in the mm-hmm. beginning. We understand that. God created time. When he looked at his light, he saw it and he said that it was good. Yes. He didn't say it was bad. He didn't say time was going to be a struggle. He didn't say that time was going to work against you. He didn't say time is going to fly away. You're not going to have... Notice he's using two different definitions of time here. Have enough time. He looked at it and he said it's good. So it's interesting. He, he created time as a tool for mankind. Yeah. But he didn't create man for time. Mankind was created out of the realms of eternity. Now the Bible says within you and I, the spirit of the eternal has been planted on the inside. Right. So we're literally eternal beings that have been placed inside time for a moment. This is not what the scriptures teach, but boy, he's doing a fine job of doing the hard work and heavy lifting of making this look like a biblical teaching. Don't worry, it's going to run off the rails really quick here. We understand that. We're in the world, but not a part of its yep. ways or its system. Right. And so this revelation that God began to show me is that, you know, Adam had favor with time in the beginning. Right. Now we understand that when Adam sinned, I mean, it, it opened up a, a floodgate of corruption. problems, yeah. corruption. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now, you know, there was separation from God. Man was separated mm-hmm. from God. And, uh, you know, we had to labor by the sweat of our brow and... And women would experience pain in childbirth and, and uh, sickness and disease, infirmity, mm-hmm. poverty, all these kinds of things came into the earth. Another thing that happened is that all of a sudden man lost dominion over time. Wow. No, really? Wow. So who knew we had the ability to have dominion over time and we lost it? Nowhere in scripture does it actually say that like that. So this is an extrapolation from verses taken out of context. But it was God's original intention that we would walk in that sphere of blessing on the earth. And so when we read through, you know, the new covenant, we understand that Jesus came as the second Adam and that Jesus Christ restored to mankind that which was lost because of sin. So when we come into faith with the glory or come into faith through Jesus Christ, that suddenly now we're restored into a place of being able to live as whole and healthy people. Right. That we're able to walk in divine healing, able to walk in divine prosperity. Uh Uh-huh, really, the ability to walk in divine healing, divine prosperity. Uh Uh-huh. Where are these verses again? Able to walk in a place of having dominion over time. Really, walk in a place where we have dominion over time. Again, what Bible verse says that again? Now, the psalmist David said this in Psalm. He said that God has given mankind dominion over every created thing. And one of those things that was created in the beginning was was time. time. It's wonderful. Yeah. Wow. So who knew? I mean, we have dominion over time itself. Wonderful. I know uh, one day I was at my desk and I had stacks and stacks of unfinished work to finish. And I only had, I think it was like a day and a half before I had to leave town again. And and it just looked like a never-ending stack. And I thought, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't have time. And he says, yes, you do. So the Lord said to you directly, yeah, you have time. Really? You have time. And I said... I don't know how I can possibly get this done without your help. And he said, well, actually, he said, time 
is something that I've created. And you've, right. you've sown time into my kingdom. He said, every um, act of prayer, um, evangelism, worship, that is your sowing in the realm of time. You're sowing time Absolutely. into my kingdom. Now, notice, again, um, where is all, any of this said in the scriptures? Oh, it's not. It's not said anywhere in the Bible. But don't worry. Patricia King, she has one of those face-to-face relationships with Jesus. And Jesus just, you know, talks to her out of the blue when she's stressed out. She says, Lord, what am I going to do? And he just starts talking to her like, no big deal. Hey, don't worry. You know, listen, nobody realizes because, well, the apostles forgot to mention this in the Bible. But, hey, you know, you you have dominion over time. You've sown into the you have dominion over this. And you've sown into the kingdom so you can make withdrawals, apparently, off of what you've sown into the realm of time. Really? Therefore, according to the law of sowing and reaping, you can draw time. And I thought, wow, I never thought of that. So I just sat there at my desk and I said, okay, God, I receive the substance of time. And that was the first time I actually realized, I thought, time is a substance. Right. Um, You'll notice, what does this type of false teaching distract you away from? from Christ, if from the biblical gospel, from the Bible itself, has you chasing after your own direct experiences with God. You want to hear God talk to you like Patricia King does, don't you? Well, you're you're not any less holy than she is, are you? I mean, what's so special about her that God talks to her and doesn't talk to you? I mean, I'm sure he wants to talk to you too. You see, this this the whole setup here is designed to distract your attention away from what scripture says. But are either Joshua Mills or Patricia King here saying the same thing, homilegao, confessing and saying the same thing that the scriptures say? Not at all. Not even close. It's like they're not even trying to say the same thing as the scriptures say. This is all based upon some direct experience that comes to them without the Bible. It's a created substance. It is. And so I thought, okay, I received the substance of time in Jesus' name. Now, I never felt anything. I didn't notice any different. I just went about my work. And I finished it in record time. In fact, I finished it so early that I had time to do more. Right. And so I didn't actually feel in my physical senses the miracle, but there was the evidence of it. It was just all of a sudden the time that I didn't think was available was more than available with time to spare. And it was such a revelation to me, Joshua, about... uh, Oh, this sounds like the perfect miracle. Do you suffer from procrastination? Don't worry. All you got to do is make a withdrawal on your heavenly bank account, well, as far as the time substance is concerned. Just receive time and it'll... Help you out. I mean, this makes it possible for you to wait for the last second every single time you have something that you need to be doing. I mean, you could kick up your feet, take a nap, maybe take a cruise to the Bahamas. Who cares? It's all the time you need is there. Don't worry about deadlines anymore. Just take a withdrawal out of your heavenly time substance account. About this this substance of time, and I sometimes like to think of time as substance, like a capsule right. inside of eternity, that we live inside the realm, but we're not confined to the realm of time because we're, we are eternal beings. But, um, yeah, it was like that was my first miracle to do with time. Right. And um, so I understand... Uh, what you're saying, but God has taken you so deep into this message, 
And you've seen miracles as you started to get the revelation of this whole subject and as God's been revealing things to you, right. um, you have you have put that to work and started practicing uh, following God into realms of the miraculous in this. My experience was very similar to yours as far as being in a situation in my life where it looked like I did not have enough time to do what I needed to do. And, you know, one of the problems in the earth right now is that everybody needs more money and everybody needs more time. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs more time. And God brought me into this revelation, and that's why I'm so excited about being able to write this book right. and share this revelation with other people. Right, yeah, because you won't find it in your Bible like anywhere. But make sure that when you get Joshua Mills's book that you, you know, you, you might want to consider like, you know, cutting the pages out of the book itself and then gluing them to the back of your Bible because this is a direct revelation from God. Therefore, it must be binding and inerrantly true. Because God gave me the revelation that I could take authority over it and mm-hmm. like you, that my days could be lengthened. Right. That it does not make sense in the natural how it happens. Right. But I could do more in one day right. that would normally naturally I be possible. It. I love and, it. And uh, when the revelation began to come, that's when I began writing books. Over the past year, I've written uh, a little. Yeah. I, you know, I hate to stop it here, but <laughs> unfortunately, I've run out of time and I've got to go to. Our break. Weird how that happens. Apparently, I just don't have enough faith to tap into <clears throat> the uh, the the substance and realm of time. Maybe I haven't sown enough deposits into the heavenly time bank account. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at... Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Because only good theology leads people to heaven, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> it's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Hey, do you want to feel holier than thou? Try Bible Thirst, holy drinks for people who need gratuitous amounts of piety. With all new flavors like prosperity, instant abundance. It's like adding your bank account to an electrical storm. Sound the alarm. You're going to be uncomfortably holy. What's that? You want mana? Well, how about super mana? Made with lightning. Real lightning. Preaching. (laughs) You'll be good at it. It's a holy drink for men. Clergy. These aren't your pastor's puns. They are righteous puns. Piety puns. Sinner, saint, sinner, saint. Prayers, lights, cross lights, power lights, more lights than your body has room for. You'll be so holy, Mother Teresa will be like, slow down. And you're like, no. And roundhouse kick her in the face with your Bible pants. You have so much holiness, holiness. Ah. Just praying all the time. 
power, praying, power, preaching, power, praising, power, fasting, power, meditating, power, laughing, power, spawning, Chester. Yo, so much Chester. Just like Esau. Give prosperity to babies, they'll be holy too. Make your babies run abnormally fast. They'll be as fast as Elijah. People watch them running and think they're Elijah. They'll race as fast as Elijah. In a race with the actual Elijah. And it'll be a time they get deported back to Israel. Hey, go with the for sure thing. Don't gamble on your afterlife. Jesus. Try Bible terms. The energy that will make you holy. Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I want to invite you to visit our website, worldviewweekend.com, and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years, and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse. It's 500 pages over 600 footnotes. Now, while you're at worldviewweekend.com, I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in biblical Worldview Weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net, situationroom.net. You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com. Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. All right, we're back. Warning, if your pastor isn't saying the same thing as Scripture, he's not teaching you what Scripture says. I know it seems kind of logical, but that's the idea. Run if that's the case. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute a mere $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to 
to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. of the sounds of the emergent postmodern philharmonic orchestra conducted by Doug Paget and their rendition of also Sprock and Zarathustra by Strauss having been set free from the limiting definitions of modernist notes and musical notation they now just let the spirit guide them This is truly, truly a miracle of sound and energy. It's just fantastic. That's our emergent update music. And the reason I'm using that is, well, because Ian Lawton of C3 Exchange up near Grand Rapids, Michigan, has been somebody who's been a darling in the emergent movement itself. Uh, he's been you know, promoted by such people as Doug Paget and Michael Dowd and others. And uh, when he came on the scene a couple of years ago, he was talking about being spiritual but not religious. Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to play for you a, a a couple of well not even a couple of minutes but a little bit of a sermon that he preached on July 15th of this year so just a month and a couple of days ago and at C3 Exchange near Grand Rapids and he makes a confession and that confession should have been a shocker to everybody there but it really wasn't because uh, Ian Lawton has been basically given free reign to do all kinds of damage at uh, C3. And we'll go back in time and I'll kind of you know, put this all in perspective for you. But let me p- play for you what it is that he said, what it is that he confessed. And uh, I'll put a little bit of context on it. So I'll back up the audio from the uh, the important quote about a minute so that you can hear the context of what he's trying to say during the sermon. The name of the sermon, by the way, is entitled... It all depends, and you can find this at the C3 Exchange uh, Vimeo account at and uh, you know and just look. You go to Vimeo.com, type in Ian Lawton, and it all depends, and it'll come right up. But uh, here's Ian Lawton from the sermon from July 15th. Uh, again, I'm adding a little bit of context. Here we go. Feel the fear. Maybe some of you wish that there was more certainty. Maybe some of you wish you had someone who could just tell you what to think. Feel that fear of being completely a free spirit. And at the same time, feel the excitement. We are engaged here in an incredible experiment. I don't mind calling it that. I don't think we should be ashamed of calling this an experiment. Okay, so did you hear that? Um, C3 Exchange is some amazing experiment. Weird thing to be discussing, considering that C3 at one time was a church. I'll explain the details here in a minute. There's no template for this. 
We're doing what we're doing and we're working this out as we're going. So feel the excitement of that. They're working out the, all of this as they're going. Feel the humility of that. We don't have all the answers. We yeah, make mistakes. All they're so humble because they don't have all the answers. Along the way, feel the gratitude to be part of a group of people who will allow you to take risks and try things. Wow, I mean, that's so exciting. I'm so glad that to be a part of a community that allow me to take risks. Now, here's the thing. I trust you so much that I don't feel any need to protect you. Okay, so here it comes. So let me tell you something about myself. All right. I am an atheist. Really? It's not like I didn't see this one coming, but okay, so you're an atheist? Let me pause at that point and let that just sink in for you a little bit. I don't need applause for it. I'm not proud of it. He's not proud of it. He shouldn't be. It's not a matter of pride. It's just a reality that for probably 20 years now, I have been an atheist. For 20 years, he has been an atheist. Unambiguously. Not conflicted about it. I don't wish there was a God. I feel completely at ease with being an atheist. And I have for decades. For decades. This isn't something new. For 20 years, he's been an atheist. And it feels quite good to say it, to be honest. I'm glad that you're finally coming out and letting everybody know that you're an atheist. I don't expect that all of you feel the same way as me. That's all right. But you need to understand the liberation to stand in front of a group and tell the truth about the way I feel and not feel the need to protect your feelings or protect your sense of security. It's so great that you finally have brought them to the place where you feel that it, you can trust them with your atheism. You see, I trust you too much for that. Let me just lighten it up at this point, because it feels a little heavy to kind of drop that, just drop that around the room. Right now it's hanging. Yeah, the Reverend Ian Lawton of C3 Exchange near Grand Rapids just threw a big bomb out into the center of the room, admitting that he's an atheist. And it's not that this is something that he's come to recently, Atheism is something that he has unambiguously been for, uh, an atheist is something he's been uh, for 20 years. For 20 years. Now, that's interesting, okay? And I'll tell you why it's interesting, and in order to do that, we've got to go back in time. There we are. That's our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Time Machine. I'm old school. I've... Uh, Sorry, I'm not into the Doctor Who way of traveling through time. All right, let's open up the time circuits here, and let's set a new destination. Let's see. We want to go back to June of... Actually, June 28th, 2010. Not too far back. And uh, we want to arrive at, let's say, 12 noon. There we go. Enter... All right, the time circuits are set, and uh, here we go.
gotta love that DeLorean. Oh, man, I forgot to put more plutonium in there. Oh, man. All right. Anyway, so uh, here we are in the year 2010, and uh, what we're going to be looking at while we're here in the year 2010 is a news story that aired on Fox News back in the day, and it included Ian Lawton. And the reason why it included Ian Lawton is because while he was making national headlines because the church that he was called to be pastor of um he de- he he decided to remove their cross here's fox news to explain what ian lawton was doing 2 years ago here we go is a cross alienating would it alienate you well one church in michigan thinks so so in an attempt to be more inclusive and to not alienate potential Worshippers, Christ Community Church has not only changed its name to C3 Exchange, but it's also removed the cross from its bell tower. Joining us now is that church's senior pastor, Ian Lawton, and the CEO of International Aid, David Wisson, a longtime resident who disagrees with what the church is doing. Good morning, uh, gentlemen. How are you? Morning, Good morning, Peter. Good. Pastor, um, from what I understand, you want to so-called de-church your church, and for you, the cross or the crucifix has become a negative symbol. How- now, at the time that this was occurring, remember the name of the church was Christ Community Church near Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he was called uh, to be their senior pastor, and he convinced the folks there that having a cross well, that would offend people. And in order to be more inclusive, they needed to change their name from Christ Community Church to C3 Exchange and remove the cross from their bell tower. But remember, he just said that he has been an atheist for two decades. For two decades. Do you think for a moment that it would have been possible to realize that there's something terribly wrong with Pastor Ian Lawton because, well, one, he's not saying the same thing as Scripture, and two, he thinks the cross is offensive. Do you know of any Christians who think the cross is offensive? I mean, that are truly Christians? I mean, is that the behavior of somebody who's a Christian? But let, let's continue. How is that so if this is a Christian church? Well, here's what's happened at C3 over the last couple of years. We've had a number of people join our community. We've had Buddhist, Jewish people, Muslims, gay people, spiritual but not religious. Everyone's come and joined. So we've changed the name and moved the cross to kind of catch up with who we've become. I see. To catch up with who we become, we're not about Christ. We're not about the cross. And at this time, two years ago, he was an atheist for 18 years, not 20. He had been an atheist for 18 years. Do you think that his behavior now makes sense in light of the fact that we know that he was an atheist? It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But see, at the time... He was hailed as basically a hero among the emergent crowd, the postmoderns, right? 
oh, look, wow, this guy is moving beyond this. He's, incre- he's creating an inclusive spiritual but not religious community that embraces people of all different faiths, so to speak. We're going to get rid of the cross. We're going to get rid of the name Christ out of our name. It makes perfect sense now. These are the actions of an atheist. These are the actions of an enemy of Christ. But this, I mean, that's what it, people at church should realize there's big trouble from the first day he opened his mouth because as an atheist, he would never say the same thing as, as the scriptures, would he? Basically, there's something we have in common that's, that's, uh, that goes much beyond all of those differences, and that is we want to be all we can be in the world and make a difference together. So you be- Yeah, be all we can be and make a difference together. Weird that all the seeker-driven churches have that same thing. Be all that you can be and make a difference in the world. It's no different than the message of Ian Lawton, the atheist, is it? I'm a universalist uh, community, uh, and you secularize what was once a Christian community. You accept atheists, you accept people of all other religions. Is that right? Basically, that's what's happened, is that people have been attracted to our community because it's open, it's inclusive, it's diverse. But more importantly, people have come because they want to make a difference they want to practice being human together, and this is a safe place to do it. And they, they want to make a difference. Weird, that's the same message that we get from so many secret-driven churches. Huh. It's not, it's not the message of somebody who's a Christian or a Christian pastor. That's the message of a man who now has confessed that he's an atheist. Mr. Wisson, uh, is it a matter of diversity or is it perversity in terms of... Now, here's the opposing side from Fox News traditional Christian principles to which this church wants you'd? Well, well, first of all, I'd like to clarify, I don't have a problem with um, C3 taking down the cross. I actually think it shows a lot of integrity because they're not standing for the message of the cross anymore. Um, the cross... This is David Wisson of the uh, is a, International Aid. A, um, ...a message that for followers of Jesus Christ, that that symbol has high value. But the Bible clearly states that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. He says very clearly, no man cometh to the Father but by me. And Christianity, by definition, presents Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation and reconciling man to God. So to have that combined with other religions, um, I think it's confusing. Mr. Wisson? Well, confusing, yeah, for sure. But why is it confusing? Well, because Ian Lawton isn't a believer. He wasn't a believer at this time. And, of course, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that he wasn't a believer because he wasn't homologeoing. That's a terrible way of putting it in Greek. But he wasn't saying the same thing as Scripture. Um, His opponent there on the Fox News interview has far more biblical sense and is saying the same thing as Scripture. And yet Ian Lawton was the one who was called to be the pastor of Christ Community Church. Huh. And, well, he's just confessed that he was an atheist at the time that he was called to be their pastor. Um, Yeah, and and it's important also to note that uh, Ian Lawton has been touted as a Christian minister by such people as, well... um, Michael Dowd, Doug Paget, uh, people in the emergent church, and he's been considered, you know, be part of the emergent fold for a while. Weird that they would welcome him um, because, well, actually, it isn't weird, but that should tell you something here. 
the fact that they're so comfortable with and embracing of his message should should tell you that there's something terribly wrong with anybody who calls themselves a postmodern or emergent Christian. The reason being is because they're not saying the same thing as Scripture either, and the reason why they're they, you know they they have kumbaya with somebody like Ian Lawton is because well. Ian Lawton, well, he's not a believer, and neither are they. That's the point. That's the whole point of this. In fact, let's let's listen. In fact, let me read this from the uh, evolutionarychristianity.com website. Evolutionarychristianity.com. Ian Lawton was ordained as an Anglican priest in Sydney, Australia in 1994. He worked on Sydney's inner city streets and saw the reality of human suffering firsthand. He sought a spirituality that made a difference in people's lives. And he lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he leads C3 Exchange, formerly Christ community church ordained mm-hmm. interesting he was um ordained by the anglicans in 1994 that would be 2 years um since his decision to be an atheist weird absolutely weird in fact let's listen to michael dowd and you know introduce him welcome to episode 11 of the advent of evolutionary Christianity, conversations at the leading edge of faith. I'm now, now, real quick, evolutionary Christianity. What is it that makes Ian Lawton a Christian? Wouldn't I mean? Don't you think the minimum, <laughs> very minimum, hurdle that somebody must jump over? I'm sorry to use it in those terms. Uh, to be a Christian would at least the ex- believe in the existence of God. Not that believing in the existence of God makes somebody a Christian, but not believing in that God exists at all, you can't in any meaningful way say that you're a Christian. So he's being interviewed at Evolutionary Christianity as a leading voice in within Christianity, but he's not a Christian, he's an atheist. I'm Michael Dowd, and I'm your host for the series, which can be accessed via evolutionarychristianity.com which is also where you can add your voice to the conversation. Today, Ian Lawton is our featured guest. As you'll hear, Ian is from Australia, and he's a gifted preacher ordained as an Anglican priest in Australia, now pastor of a thriving church near Grand Rapids, Michigan, called C3 Exchange, an inclusive spiritual community. And here we talk about an inclusive faith for the spiritual but not religious. Hello, Ian. How are you today? Hey, Michael. Good to talk to you. Well, I, I want to just jump right in, but uh, I'm not going to assume that everybody on this call knows you and is familiar with your ministry. So I'd, I'd love it if you could just take a few minutes at the start and just help our listeners know who you are and, and what you bring to this, because uh, I have found you to be one of the real inspiring visionaries in this movement of integrating a deep-time evolutionary understanding with Christian pastoral ministry and really with an inclusive... Yeah, so he's he's an innovator in basically bringing evolution and Christianity together as a Christian pastor. But at the time he was interviewed for evolutionary Christianity, he had been an atheist for almost two decades. Inclusive approach to spirituality and, and ministry. So, uh, you know, I'd like you to share your, your testimonial, as it were, or your, your story of, of how you came into an evolutionary understanding. All right. Well, you know, it all, it all began for me in Sydney, Australia, which is a very conservative religious climate and 
from there I've come a long way, both geographically but also uh, personally. And I, and I guess the you know the common theme for me is that I have an impatient zeal for authenticity, and I have I have a very hard time working within contexts or settings that don't allow me to be fully myself. Uh huh. My question for you is, what is authentic about passing yourself off as a Christian yet the entire time knowing that you're an atheist? What's authentic about that? Answer. Nothing is authentic about that. Not one thing is authentic about it. What, what we're dealing with here is a man who has put on the facade of being a Christian and taught God's sheep a different message the entire time he was an atheist. Is this not the epitome of what it means to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's called as the pastor of Christ Community Church. He takes the cross down and changes the name to C3 Exchange. Are those the actions of a Christian or the actions of an enemy of the cross? Answer, those are the actions of an enemy of the cross. He doesn't preach the gospel. He preaches inclusivity. He preaches spiritual but not religious. He doesn't actually teach what the scriptures teach. He says things that are different rather than says the same thing. And he is lauded and put forward as an innovative voice within Christianity. And yet the entire time he was an atheist. Do you think at this point that the the, the emergent crowd is going to throw him under the bus and say, oh, well, we had no idea. You can't be in our, in our club if, if you're an atheist. Of course not. This'll, in fact, this will probably win uh, points with them. But the point is this. This is exactly what it means to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. He was engaging in an inauthentic deception, and all of his actions the entire time pointed to the fact that he was not a Christian pastor, that he wasn't even a Christian, that he was something completely different. And yet nobody challenged him except for the guy on Fox News, right? The people who called him to be pastor, the pastor of Christ Community Church, they should have been alerted and known that something wrong, terribly wrong from his first sermon. But rather than listening with discernment and seeing if he was saying the same thing as scripture, they'd embraced him as some postmodern innovator who was finding a way to make a difference in the world and create an inclusive spiritual community. This is what happens when you don't listen and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. It doesn't shock me in the slightest. Doesn't shock me at all. There's no surprise to me that Ian Lawton has come forward and confessed to being an atheist. None whatsoever. Nothing that has come out of his mouth that I've heard him say since he came on the scene a couple of years ago would lead me to believe that he is a Christian. It doesn't surprise me whatsoever that he is an atheist. And then the question is, is are you, but see, that's the thing. Now that you see how the game is played, okay, that's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Ask yourself this question. Is your pastor saying the same thing as scripture or is he saying something different? It doesn't matter if he calls it Christian because that's the sheep's clothing to cover up the wolf, the wolf skin, the wolf fur. Doesn't matter if he calls it Christian. Here was Ian Lawton 
passing himself off and allowing people to present him as a Christian pastor, and yet he was an atheist. So again, the question is, are you listening to what your pastor is saying and comparing it to God's word? Is he saying the same thing as scripture? Is he offended by the cross or is he boldly proclaiming it? Is he offended by the scriptures and all of their irrelevant things that are said in the scriptures? Or does he boldly proclaim the entire counsel of the word of God? You know, the, the embarrassing parts as well as the parts that people would say that's okay. You see what I'm saying? Because the reality is, is that anybody who calls himself a Christian pastor who refuses to preach what the scriptures preach is not a Christian pastor. He's something different. He's a wolf. And so there on July 15th, Ian Lawton felt that he had finally prepared the people at C3 Exchange. That he had prepared them, basically destroyed and wrecked whatever faith they might have had destroyed and wrecked it to such a degree that it was okay for him to take off the sheep, you know, disguise and costume. You know, I feel comfortable. I I feel like I can trust you all now with what I'm going to say. And I, I, for 20 years, I've been an atheist. They should have run him out on the rail. See, he, he took the sheep off, the sheepskin off to hide the wolf And here I am. I'm now your wolf pastor. But I trust you now. I trust you enough so that I can be authentic and and tell you the truth and get it off my chest. I'm glad he feels better about that. But let the Ian Lawton story be a warning to all of us. This is how the devil works. Now there is a church formerly known as Christ Community Church, formerly where the cross was preached. It's now called C3 Exchange, and it's pastored by an open atheist, a man who is making no efforts anymore to hide uh, the fact that he's a wolf. That's exactly what happens. But this should be no surprise to anybody, because when you listen to the content of his preaching, he never said the same thing as Scripture, ever. Never said it. He always would say something completely different and yet pass himself off as a Christian minister. That is how it works. Now, I promised you a um, kind of a bonus thing, and that it would be Michael Dowd himself. Michael Dowd is one of these guys who's, you know, kind of like the, he's like in league with the Biologos people, trying to find a way to reconcile evolutionary theory and Christianity. And and a while ago, he preached a sermon um where he basically uh, claimed that the new atheists, you know, Hitchens and Dawkins and guys like that, were were prophets of God. Yeah, <laughs> makes perfect sense, don't you think? Here, listen in. I want to say what a treat it is to be here today, because as many of you, I'm sure, know, I was scheduled to be here last November. And in September, actually September 6th, I was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. And I had a a tumor the size of my fist and my spleen. And there was actually a few weeks where I thought I could die very, very soon. And so to be able to be here with cancer in remission, I just had a CAT scan uh, about six weeks ago, and it showed no sign of... I had my spleen removed after six rounds of chemotherapy, but apparently there's no sign of cancer anywhere in me, so I'm really, really grateful and grateful to be here. 
the day that I was diagnosed, I asked myself this question. If I have one message left to communicate to the world, what would it be? Because frankly, at that time, given the size of the tumor in my spleen, I didn't know how long I would have. And I thought, I could die soon. And the response to my question was rather bizarre. The response was, preach the new atheists as God's prophets. Really? So God told you to preach the new atheists as God's prophets? My response to that was, (laughs) yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, I could imagine rather quickly that the atheists would run one direction for the barf bag and the theists would run in the different direction for the barf bag and no one would be left to hear my message. And yet, well, a few hours later, I recorded a podcast with that title, The New Atheist as God's Prophets. And it has become uh, one of the core messages that I speak. And so I'd like to share just very briefly this morning what I'm meaning by this and why I think this message is important for our time. First of all, let me read a quote from Loyal Rue. We need to have an understanding of what religion is first. This is a quote from Loyal Rue. He's a philosopher of evolution and a philosopher of religion. Kate, notice, not the Bible... Is he saying the same thing as scripture? Is this a good homilegao, a good confession? No, not at all. He's not saying the same thing as scripture. And he wrote a book called Religion is Not About God. And this is a quote. He says, The most profound insight in the history of humankind is that we should live, that we should seek to live in accord with reality. Indeed, living in harmony with reality may be accepted as a formal definition of wisdom. If we live at odds with reality, foolishly, then we will be doomed. But if we live in proper relationship with reality, wisely, then we shall be saved. Humans everywhere and at all times have had at least a tacit understanding of this fundamental principle. What we are less in agreement about is how we should think about reality and what we should do to bring ourselves into harmony with it. Prophets have, in all cultures, not just the Western Judeo-Christian tradition, but in all cultures, prophets have been those who saw what was real and sensed what was emerging and then spoke a bold prophetic word of warning to the people that went essentially like this. Align with reality or perish? Hmm. Yeah, they actually had direct revelation. Um, word, the word of the Lord would come to them, and they would say, Repent of your idolatry and worship the one true God or perish. You notice he's changed it, so he's not saying the same thing as Scripture says regarding who a prophet is and what a prophet says. That's essentially the stance of a prophet. Get right with reality or else. And the or else often was pretty severe. And we can understand from a psychological as well as an anthropological perspective, we can understand why this is the case. Human beings, by the nature of our brains, we tend to take some small aspect of reality and then idolize it. We concretize it. We then say, this is holy and everything else is kind of secular or not holy, or not worthy of our care or consideration. 
And one of the reasons why the Jewish people were so adamant about not having images of God and even the language of God was you were not allowed to pronounce. And what they were trying to get at, it wasn't just mystical mumbo-jumbo. It was that we tend to make idols out of our images, our concretizations of what we mean when we use the word God. God has always, in every culture, been nothing less than a personification of what was undeniably real. Mm, so there it is. So new. this is a different definition of God. This is not the same. He's not saying the same thing as to who God is as what the Bible says who God is and what God is. So we got a different definition of God now. He's not saying the same thing. He's not homologoing correctly here. A personific- God is a personification, not a person. Really? And yet he speaks. I know God's a person because Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He surely is a person. The evidence is overwhelming from neurobiology, from anthropology. Neurobiology teaches us that God isn't a person? Really? From the cross-cultural study of different myths and religions all around the world, there is no evidence that God is a person. There is abundant evidence that God is a personification. Uh-huh. So, the Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, he wasn't a person. What was he then? That's what our brains do innately. We instinctually personify reality. Poseidon was not the god of the oceans, as if there was a separation between some spirit and the water. Poseidon was a personification of the incomprehensible, powerful, and capricious seas. Saul, or Helios, was not the god of the sun, as if there was some separation between the two. Saul, or Helios, was a personification of that big ball of life-giving heat and energy. And what was Jesus a personification of? I'm curious. Because, again, he was a person, and he claimed to be God in human flesh and proved it by raising himself from the dead on the third day. The problem is that... I mean, this is one of the things that makes sense of all the world's different religious traditions. Why we have some cultures that say, God said this, and God did that. And other cultures say, no, 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 God said this, and she did that. And other cultures say, no, 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 God did this, and she, you know. Does God have multiple personality disorder? Or is God schizophrenic? Well, no. All of these make sense when we realize that... The- By the way, he's preaching this in a quote, Christian church. innate nature of human brains is to personify reality. In fact, do you remember the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? The way he personified Wilson, the soccer ball. It was the only thing that kept him partially sane. It's just what we do. Connie and I have personified North America as Nora. For eight years, we've traveled North America. And we've been speaking in every kind of religious and non-religious setting imaginable. And we have, playfully, we don't take it literally, what we prayfully call this continent Nora. We say we're falling ever more in love with Nora. Now, we know it's a personification, but it's also meaningful. It's, it adds juice. It adds lightness and laughter and love and playfulness and joy to our lives. And yet, if we did this over the course of my lifetime, it, 
it probably wouldn't take more than two generations. My grandkids would probably tell the story about how Grandpa believed that there was a spirit of this continent called Nora. It's, we forget that... It's, you could say that our, our brains... That God is a personification, not a person, and we're programmed to forget that. Okay, now, you'll, you'll notice immediately there's some big problems here in what he's saying because he's not saying the same thing as Scripture. I would like you to realize that men such as Brian McLaren, Doug Paget, John Shelby Spong, and others who are supposed to be leaders within the Christian church, and I'm using the term really loosely, Sally Morgenthaler and others, uh, these are the types of people who work with and collaborate with Michael Dowd. Huh. Is this Christianity? No. Michael Dowd is saying the same nonsense that, well, Ian Lawton has been saying. And we now know that Ian Lawton was an atheist. Do you think it's safe to say that uh, Michael Dowd isn't a Christian? Yeah, it is. Because there's nothing Christian about what he's saying. We continue. So periodically, prophets are needed to speak boldly and say... No, 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 folks. As some of the Old Testament prophets did, I don't care about your rituals. I don't care about your burnt offerings. I care about justice. I care about how you're treating the poor. I care about how you're working with others and some of the places that were clearly not serving the whole, not serving the community as a whole. And that's what prophets do. And so in a way, I see the new atheists as playing the prophetic role, even though they think, and, and what I mean by the new atheists are the best-selling authors who are not giving religion any slack. They're, 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 they're often seen as anti-religious, and many of them see themselves as anti-religious. But what they're against is not religion in itself. What they're against is religion understood primarily as supernatural otherworldlyism. Ah, okay, so, that, so now we can just look at the new atheists and say, oh, wow, they're prophets of God. This is just a tangled mess. I mean, seriously. I mean, that this would be the equivalent of basically having a five-star general in the, in the United States military who's a pacifist. Doesn't make any sense at all. This makes about as much sense as, you know, having a vegan work at a steakhouse. It doesn't make any sense. And if religion is understood as supernatural otherworldlyism, and we take that stuff literally then we're not going to be a pay attention to what God, what reality is revealing today. Yeah, see, reality is God, not that God's a person. So God, the reality is revealing something new today, and the new atheists are the prophets of God. The long and the short of this, folks, is that there's a whole lot of people out there saying ridiculous things, all in the name of God. But they're not teaching you anything about God because they're not saying the same thing as Scripture. They're saying something completely different. That is what it means, ultimately, to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. And, well, Ian Lawton has demonstrated it perfectly through his life and, quote, ministry as a Christian pastor. Never once saying the same thing as Scripture. That should have disqualified him. But then we learn for 20 years he's been an atheist. 
listen to the message that people are saying. If they're not saying the same thing as Scripture, they are wolves, and they are working for the devil. They are not pointing you to Christ. They are not pointing you to the gospel. They are deceiving you, and their goal is to get rid of the cross, to get rid of Christ, and ultimately take him out of your heart, even if if they could do that, and send you to hell. I don't think there's any other way to interpret it. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so on my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. When we get back, a good sermon by a man who isn't an atheist, but who boldly preaches the gospel. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. From the creators who brought you Bible Pants and Vision Lax comes the brand new super special awesome comedy album of the 21st century. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater of the Budgie Cuts. Part 2. We here at Pirate Christian Studios have been hard at work crafting this album for maximum quality and hilarity. You'll cry. You'll laugh. (laughs) You'll scream. And you'll have uncontrollable flatulence. Just stick to the script, please. So sorry, um... Buy it now while stocks last. They download it. There is no supply which to run out. Oh, so you mean they can just go right onto iTunes and download it? Yes. Like right now? If they want to, yes. Oh. Well, the heck with this commercial. I'm off to buy it right now. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater, The Budget Cuts, Part 2. Disapproved of by heretics everywhere. Get it before they do. Okay, we're back. Well into hour number two here at Fighting for the Faith, and we're going to come in for a soft landing. What I mean by that is is we're going to listen to a good sermon. And like I said, by a man who believes the Christian faith, believes in God, he's not an atheist, and not only that, he believes the gospel. How do I know? Because he preaches it. And the gospel he preaches is the same gospel that's in the scripture. He says the same thing. Here we go.
The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Bethel Evangelical Free Church, Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley presiding. The name of the sermon, Christ Came for Sinners. Now here's the fun part. You will never hear this message preached by Ian Lawton. You will never hear this message preached by Michael Dowd. They aren't about preaching this message. You probably would never hear Brian McLaren preach this message. Doug Paget, Tony Jones. Sad thing is, is that you, well, there's probably little chance that you're going to hear this sermon preached by someone like Rick Warren, either, or Stephen Furtick. Why? Because those are the people who are saying the same thing as Scripture. They're off wandering around making up their own Christianity. Whereas Pastor Charmley is going to open up his Bible. The biblical text for the sermon is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. He's going to open up the Bible, he's going to read the biblical passage, and then he's going to exegete it, and along the way he's going to preach the Gospel to you. Yes, you. You need to hear it, just like I do. So without any further ado... Here is Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley and his sermon entitled, Christ Came for Sinners. Here we go. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel according to Mark and chapter 2. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Mark has been speaking of the Lord's ministry, beginning with his baptism by John, his preaching in Capernaum and the synagogues of Galilee, people's confusion over what he had come into the world to do, whether he was merely a healer or something more. And so we come to chapter 2 when he returns once more to Capernaum. So Mark chapter 2 And again he entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them not even near the door and he preached the word to them Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men When they could not come near him because of the crowd they uncovered the roof where he was so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easy to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. For that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. 
So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. But when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine is put into new wineskins. Now it happened... And he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why don't they do that which is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiath of the high priest, and ate the showbread which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. We trust God to add his blessing to the reading of his most holy word. Our text... This morning is found in the chapter we read, Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, and verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Christ comes into the world with a mission. He is one who knows why he is here. To save sinners, he is a saviour. He has already emphasised this with the healing of the paralytic man, that he has come to pardon sins, to forgive sins, and now again he says, I've come to call sinners to repentance. And this, you see, is the, the failure of the self-righteous religious mind to see that the mission of Jesus is not to congratulate us upon the, the good works that we have done, on the progress we have made, but to save sinners. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not the righteous sinners Jesus came to call. And we have here in these verses 
from verse 14 to verse 17, the account of the call of Levi, also named Matthew, and the reaction of the Pharisees to that. The Pharisees and their opposition have been introduced in the account of the healing of the paralytic, and now we have the Pharisees continuing their opposition against Jesus. And so we see, first of all, this call of Levi. Secondly, the complaint of the Pharisees. And thirdly, the correction that Jesus gives to their false ideas. So we have the call, the complaint, and the correction. And first we have this call of Levi, the tax collector. As I said to the children, the tax collectors were the most despised class of men in the whole land at the time because they were agents of a foreign power, they were collaborators, and you think the position of a collaborator in Nazi-occupied France, German-occupied France in the Second World War. The collaborators were despised because they were doing the work of the enemy. They were sellouts, and of course the tax collectors were viewed as enriching themselves, lining their own pockets by their treachery, by their wickedness. So Levi was the most despised of men. In chapter 1 we have the healing of the leper. And while people knew the leper was unclean, yet they looked on lepers with a certain level, there was disgust, there was also a certain level of pity, because it was not something they had chosen to do. They looked on a collaborator, a tax collector, with hatred as well as disgust, because these were sellouts. They had chosen to betray their own people. They were morally unclean as well as ceremonially unclean. Agents of a foreign power lying in their own pockets, hated, despised. And Levi, at the tax office, however much he may be receiving yet, Everybody is looking at him, or trying not to look, and muttering under their breath, perhaps, what a shame. How terrible it must be for his parents that he turned out like that. What a shame. What a wicked man he is. And Jesus passed by. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Now, of course, Levi was in Capernaum. Everybody in Capernaum knew who Jesus was. They had been crowding around to hear him. They had been bringing their sick and their disabled to him to be healed. They all knew who Jesus was. Levi is not here looking at a total stranger and thinking, what this strange man doing? Rather, he is looking at one whom he knows exactly who this is. This is Jesus of Nazareth. This is the man who said to the 
paralytic, your sins are forgiven you. This is the man who has spoken of his mission to forgive sinners. And here is Levi, the man who knows he's a sinner, looking to Jesus. Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. And at once Levi got up and followed him. Now, for Peter and Andrew, James and John, following Jesus did not mean forever giving up what they were doing. In fact, we know that briefly after the death and resurrection of Christ, they went back to fishing. Because what they were doing was lawful and right. Fishing is a good occupation, but being a tax collector was not. It did involve moral wickedness in those days because it did involve this idea that you got paid by adding on to the amount you were asked to collect. You set your own salary. And of course, walking out of a Roman tax office meant they would never let you back again. Levi, to get up and walk out, was leaving his work forever. There was no going back. And yet, he gets up, leaves the tax office, and follows Jesus. There is here repentance, because he turned from what he was doing, he turned from his sin, and followed Christ. He responded to the call with repentance. It is not enough for someone to simply say, yes, I believe, and go on living openly, unrepentantly in sin. We cannot use Christ's pardon as a, a cover for our love of sin. The Christian struggles with sin, but the Christian looks to Christ and follows him and loves him. And so Levi followed the Lord Jesus. He did as Jesus called him. He followed him. And of course, seeking to bring others to the Lord, he held this meal. And so we come to the Pharisees' complaint. Levi holds this meal in his house and he invites many of his friends, and of course all his friends are people just like him. If you're a moral outcast, then all your friends are going to be moral outcasts as well. Other tax collectors, money lenders perhaps, people in all sorts of shady occupations, gathered together to hear Jesus. But of course this is not some wild party, this is an evangelistic meal. Levi wants his friends to hear about Christ. And it is the response of the person who is saved. We want others to hear about Jesus, to hear Jesus, to hear that voice of Christ. Because tax collectors need the gospel, Pharisees need the gospel. Pharisees, of course, they see Jesus at this meal with these outcasts, these off-scourings of society, the dregs, and the Pharisees do what Pharisees are very good at doing. They look down upon them and despise them. Now the word Pharisee, there's no 
agreement as to what exactly it means, it probably comes from the Hebrew word meaning to separate. And the idea is that these were people who, by their righteous acts, by their lives, they were separate from the vast mass of the people whom they called the Am Haaretz, the people of the land, or more colloquially, sinners. The idea was that the Pharisees, they were the ones who strove to keep the law. They were the ones who strove to be good, and righteous and holy, to be what God wanted people to be. They were the ones who made the extra effort. And they built, as it were, as they called it, a fence around the law. The idea was, well, if God's law says this, we go a bit further. And that way we can be sure we've kept the law. But of course, they were deluding themselves. Because they missed the spirit of the law. They managed somehow to create structures by which they broke the law in the name of keeping the law. And the whole spirit was proud and arrogant. We are the righteous and you are the sinners, they said. And of course they looked at people who were tax collectors, who were in these shady occupations, and they said, these people can never be saved. These people can never be righteous. They're lost forever because of what they do. And this is the, the great tendency of moralism in religion. The moral, if we are saved by our moral good works, and if people think they're saved by their good works, then eventually there comes a point where you have to say, well, some people, because of all the wicked things they, they have done, they can never be saved. No matter what they may do. Because they've done so much that is bad. And you will find this in moralistic religion. That there are certain people who looked at, well, that person can never be saved because that person has done so much wrong they can never erase the record. And so the Pharisees looked on the tax collectors and they said, well, these people can never be saved. They've done such terrible things that God will never accept them. And then they saw Jesus eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. And they said to his disciples, you notice that, they didn't say to Jesus, why are you doing this? They said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And they said that because what they really meant by this was, not that they were asking for an answer, but, well look at him, this is the man you call your master, this is your rabbi. Look who he associates with. You'll be so much better off with one of us as your rabbi. They were trying to draw the disciples away from Jesus. The great aim here is not to get an answer to find out what Jesus is doing, but to draw people away from Jesus, to get people to follow them again. Because these were the popular leaders. They were the ones who put on the great displays of piety. They were the ones who spoke against the Romans. 
And if you depreciate the fact that first John the Baptist and now Jesus were drawing people away from them. So they say, what's he doing? Why does he have these people? You see, the great result of this moralism, this idea that you're saved by your good works, is finally destructive. Because it leads to self-righteousness. In fact, there are three possible, respons- possible results of someone teaching moralistic religion. First of all, you have hypocrites, people who think they're pulling it off. People who, rather, who know they're not pulling it off, they put on a mask, they pretend they're pulling it off. The hypocrites, the, the play actors. Secondly, you have those people who really think they are pulling it off. They're deluded. And they're proud, but they think they're doing it until God comes and destroys it all and shows them how worthless all their works are. And then you have those who are driven to despair. Those who know they're not pulling it off and instead of being hypocrites and pretending, they are driven to utter blank despair. I can never do this. Some of them will commit suicide. Others will give up all attempts at being right. So I can never do this. And drift down and down into a spiral of self-destruction. And others will just go along through life. Always unhappy. Always insecure and always knowing God is not pleased with me because I have sinned. And that is the end result of a self-righteous religion, a religion that teaches that people are saved by being good, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Self-righteous religion is destructive. It is terribly destructive. Now here are these Pharisees and they're trying to draw people into their own Views of their own false religion. But when Jesus heard it, ah, we come now to the correction. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, and those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He says essentially to the Pharisees, You've completely missed the point of who I am and why I'm here, because I'm a saviour. Jesus is a saviour, and so a saviour goes to those who need to be saved. Jesus is there to forgive sins, and so of course he goes to sinners who need their sins forgiven. He is there to turn people from their wickedness to live, and so he goes to those who are dead in trespasses and sins. And the word of God is not sent to those who are good, because there are no good. There is none righteous, no, not one. And the Pharisees had missed the love of God. Oh, they knew something of the righteousness of God, but they missed that too, but they missed most of all the love of God. All they could do when they saw these tax collectors and sinners was to disapprove, to say, oh, what terrible people they are. 
Christ saw them and he saw them as they were he was not sentimental he saw them as sinners ruined by the fall men and women whose lives were wrecked ruined lives and yet he sought to bring them back he sought to save sinners he did not say somewhere in there there's a spark of goodness no he came that we might be born again that people might be brought back not by some power in themselves but by the almighty power of God the power of the Holy Spirit working with him you must be born again he says not only to tax collectors but to Pharisees you must be born again For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And those to whom he came were perishing. You, the Apostle says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were not sick. You were not slightly injured. You were dead. We're not even half dead. You were fully, completely dead to God. Lost and ruined by the poor. But God, in his great love, with which he loved us, sent his Son to save sinners. Not the righteous, but sinners. Guilty sinners tax collectors, collaborators, traitors to their own people. Sinners of all kinds, even self-righteous sinners, even those Pharisees who believed that they were righteous and despised the Amharic, the people of the land, even they may be saved if they repent and turn to God. And of course, repentancy. The basic concept of repentance, the word literally means a change of mind in the Greek. Not a superficial thing, but a total change of the way we think. A change for the Pharisee of seeing himself as a good person and God as the one who is to reward him. A change the tax collector of seeing God as the one who will surely and certainly destroy him to seeing God as the one who sent his son into the world to save sinners, to bring him out of his sin. Because, you see, this is salvation. It is not to be saved in our sins. It is not to be saved that we may keep on doing wickedness, but that we may be saved from wickedness. To be saved from our sins. Why, Christ has given his name. You shall call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins in every way, from the guilt of sin. The guilt of sin, that which means that we are subject to punishment for what we have done against the law of God. That's the guilt of sin. From the power of sin, sin's ability to enslave us and to keep us and of course, finally, from its presence. 
that sin shall be taken away completely from God's people at the last when they are changed either after death or when the Lord comes again in glory have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance he says don't think that Christ is there to congratulate you on the good things you've done he's not no Jesus is here to pardon and to forgive religion is not a matter of our good deeds you do this and God will reward you it is Christ coming into a world full of people who have no good deeds but even the best they've ever done is stained and marred by sin and yet he comes to call sinners to repentance he says turn from your evil ways turn from sin turn from your false ideas that sin is freedom that money is all perhaps that self-righteousness is all turn and be forgiven there is pardon that is the centre of the Christian message is that Christ came into the world to save sinners not to condemn self-righteousness is out of place in a Christian no Christian can be self-righteous and we see indeed a world full of people who do not know the Lord Jesus and we are not lifted up in our hearts to say well we're better than them but rather we are heartbroken and ask why do they not know the Lord why will they not listen to the voice of Jesus that calls to repentance and forgiveness and we cry out to the Lord that he would make them hear we see that it is grace and grace alone that brings people into the church it is grace alone it is Christ's call alone that brings people to him not anything in us but rather he saw us ruined in the fall and yet he loved the sinful race that loved not him I wonder if it is that Christ calls sinners to repentance and faith that he has this compassion upon us the love and compassion of the Lord are wonderful he is full of mercy love and power Christ is a saviour for sinners not a congratulator for those who think that they are righteous he comes and he calls he says come unto me all you who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you a rest come unto me all you who feel the burden of your sins come unto me all you who feel the burden of the law and I will give you a rest I will take away your sins I have fulfilled the law of God and I will give you a rest and peace in believing and following me he calls us to come to him and yes the world looks and the world says the religious world says what? sinners in church 
Christ replies, yes, for there are none who are not sinners. And the worst of sinners may come to Christ. The Apostle Paul said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. There was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. A man who was sure he was righteous. And Christ saved that Pharisee. He saved the tax collector Levi and the Pharisee Saul. And he makes of the tax collector and of the Pharisee apostles who will bring his gospel of forgiveness into all the world. Who will proclaim salvation for sinners. For he calls men from sin, he calls men and women and children from sin to be saved. And he assures us that in him there is eternal salvation. As Mr. Hart puts it, the sinner that truly believes and trusts in his crucified God, his justification receives redemption in full through his blood. So it is. And only by that blood of Christ that is figured before us in the Lord's table, by that sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, can anyone be saved. But all who come to Christ, and all who know that, who receive that salvation, are saved forevermore. And the blood of Christ cleanses his people from all sins. The sins of the Pharisee and of the publican, and makes of both saints fit for the kingdom of heaven. To him then be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Can't think of a better note to end off the week on. So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so on my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.